Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Podcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Good afternoon, and welcome to the March 2020 Community IT Innovators webinar. Today, we're going to be talking about 12 questions that nonprofits should ask when evaluating a managed service provider, or MSP. We're grateful that you could join us this afternoon, and I want to start by introducing today's presenters. So welcome, Steve. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Steve Longenecker. It's good to be with you all today. Um, I'm the Director of IT Consulting at Community IT. I've been at Community IT for 15 years, and um, glad to be here. Great. And my name is Johan Hammerstrom. I'm the President and CEO of Community IT, and uh, also the moderator for the webinar series. And Steve and I are going to be co-presenting this webinar today. And I want to tell you a little bit about Community IT, if you're not familiar with us. Community IT is a 100% employee-owned company, and we are dedicated to advancing nonprofit missions through the effective use of technology. We work solely with nonprofit organizations and have done so for almost 25 years. So uh, we're also a winner of the MSP 501, which is put on every year by Channel Futures, and it means we're one of the top 501 MSPs in the uh, in the world. So before we begin, I do want to mention that uh, Steve and I talked a little bit about whether or not we should proceed with this webinar. It felt a little bit um, out of place given what's happening in the world right now, um, but we, uh, we decided that we wanted to go forward with it. Um, we're not going to be referring to the pandemic at all in today's webinar. There's plenty of resources out there um, to help your organization uh, respond and um, shift to remote working. Uh, we actually sent an email out on our newsletter earlier today linking to some excellent resources that TechSoup has published, including a 90-minute webinar that they ran last week all about nonprofit preparedness um, in response to the pandemic. So uh, we understand that that's on everyone's mind. It's something that we've been very focused on this week, and um, we would direct you to those resources um, to help you and, and learn more about it. Uh, but we're going to make the next hour pandemic free, so maybe it gives us all a nice break um, from thinking about the crisis, and we can talk a little bit more about um, evaluating managed service providers. So at the outset, really want to emphasize that um, the goal is not to um, sell ourselves, first and foremost, um, nor is it to say that there is a, a, a one-size-fits-all uh, managed services provider. We firmly believe that we're a strong business, we provide great services to the nonprofits that we work for, and we're a good fit for a lot of organizations. But we also firmly believe that um, we're maybe not the best fit for every organization, and there are a variety of different managed services providers out there, many of whom are excellent. And we really feel that these questions are going to help you identify the MSP that's really the best fit for you as an organization. So the questions are really intended to accomplish two things. One, they'll help you evaluate the quality and capacity, um, help you to vet whether or not the MSPs that you're looking at um, are able to do the work. And secondly, they'll help you to really identify an MSP that's going to be a good fit for your organization. So that's really the, the goal in the, in the presentation today. So there's 12 questions, as I mentioned, and we actually have a white paper on our website, um, which uh, also has goes through these 12 questions. You can go to our website and download the white paper if you're interested. Um, but the questions that we're going to run through today, and we're going to talk in a little bit of detail about each one, are uh, number one, getting references. Um, number two, finding out who answers the phone when you call to get support. Number three, finding out who's going to visit the location when you need on-site support. Finding out a little bit more about staff tenure 
at an organization and uh, what that means. Um, questions you can ask to get to the bottom of pricing. We'll go into some more detail about that. Talking a little bit about onboarding and how the MSP onboards new clients. Find out a little bit more about how in detail some questions you can ask and some ways of asking this question to just get a better sense of how the managed services provider is going to work with you, how they're going to report on their work. That's a very important part of, of working with a nonprofit organization. Um, the vendors and technologies that they support and use, their cybersecurity capacity and, and how they implement cybersecurity, their overall capacity for strategic planning, and finally, this is kind of a key question and all the other ones sort of lead up to this. How do they see themselves delivering value? So we'll go through each one of these one at a time. And hopefully at the end of this, you have a better sense of how to evaluate managed services providers. So start with references. And this is pretty straightforward. If, uh, if you're hiring somebody, if you're hiring a, a contractor to work on something for you, or if you're looking for a vendor like a managed services provider, you're going to want to get good references from them. And specifically, uh, you want to make sure that they're providing you with references to other nonprofit organizations. Um, we work exclusively with nonprofits, <clears throat> but there are a lot of MSPs that work with a lot of nonprofits in addition to other types of organizations. So um, we feel in our experience that nonprofits are pretty unique. And um, it's important to find an MSP that has that nonprofit experience. So you can get a lot of information by talking with someone who, um, who has worked with the MSP, who's, uh, who understands sort of the nonprofit context. Obviously, when you ask for references, you're going to get good references. You know, the chances are you're not going to get organizations that are unhappy with, with the service that they're receiving. But if you have an honest conversation with the reference that you're talking to, um, you can ask them, well, what are they good at? What are their strengths? And, you know, what are some areas where maybe they could improve or they're not as strong? Most MSPs make trade-offs in how they run their business. And there are certain areas that they've chosen to focus on that they're strong in. And there may be other areas where they're not as strong in. And that's not necessarily a knock against any MSP. It's just sort of the reality of running a business. And that sort of gets back to this question of finding out who's going to be a good fit for your organization. If you can find out what is this MSP really good at, what are some of the things that maybe they're not as strong at, that can help you to understand fitness um, more, more completely. Anything to add there, Steve? No, I think that covers it. I think, yeah, I think the, the, the point about hey you you don't know you're not you every no no msp is perfect so but finding out um from a reference hopefully the reference is willing to share you know like it's like the job interview question you know what's what would you, what would a, a former employer say is one of your weaknesses and you know that you everyone should be ready to answer that question and answer it in a way oh my weaknesses i work too hard and i care too much about uh my my this the the quality of my work, something, you know, something like that. But probably there really is, you know, things that the that that your potential uh, service provider doesn't do well. And what you want to know is whether those things are are not so important to you or things that would be critical to you. So that that's a way to approach it. Mm -hmm. yep. So then the next question is who who's going to answer the phone? Um, and there are a variety of possible answers to this question. So one possible answer is what well, you want to find out basically if um, the primary way of getting in touch with the MSP is through a help desk or if it's through some other method. Um, some MSPs have a full service help desk um, and they prefer that their customers call that help desk. Other MSPs will have you call an office manager and then they'll route the call to a technician. So just finding out how they work is really important. And this is a pretty straightforward question and they should have a pretty clear answer. They should understand their processes well enough to, to answer this question clearly. If they're relying on a help desk, then there's some follow-up questions that you could ask to get a little bit more information. You could find out um, 
how many technicians are on the help desk. Is the call going to go to a technician or is it going to go to someone who's in more of a triage role and will assign the ticket to a technician? You can ask them things like, well, what's your first call resolution rate? You know, how many issues are resolved by the first person that picks up the phone? How many times do issues have to be escalated um, to, other, to other people on the help desk? And you can also ask them if their help desk is staffed in-house or is outsourced. And we've had a lot of experience with, with both. We have an in-house help desk, but we know other MSPs who used outsource help desks. And there are some great uh, firms out there that provide outsourced help desk services to MSPs who then resell it to their customers. So outsourcing isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you want to understand that from the outset. Are you going to be working with someone who's part of the company or are you going to be working with, with another firm? Yeah, I'll add to that, that, you know, the, the strength of having your help desk be, you know, internal employees is that of course you can manage uh, quality uh, control better that way. Um, I mean, there are some fantastic outsource help desk providers, so I don't mean that there's not good quality um, in the outsource world, but it just, if it's internal employees, then they're, you know, they, they understand the brand, the mission, uh, they, they are part of that, that big picture. The other reason, I mean, the other thing that um, maybe it was worth making explicit about why you're asking about um, how much, what the, what the rate of success with first time um, resolution, first call resolution, uh, why that matters is because staffing a help desk is, is really a challenge um, in this day and age for managed service providers just writ large, just as it's a tight labor market. And so you, you end up with oftentimes quite junior technical staff on the front lines of the help desk. Um, and that makes sense in, insofar as, you know, oftentimes what people are calling the help desk for is to have their password reset. Once you know how to reset a password, you can do it all day. Um, and it doesn't make sense to have a senior engineer um, sitting on a, you know, sitting on a help desk front line resetting passwords when their their skills, you know, should be used on much more difficult technical questions. So you can't expect 100% first time resolution because you're calling the help desk with a wide variety of problems. And uh, an MSP's job is to sort of find that, that balance between being cost effective with, with deploying, you know, a, a scarce resource of skilled labor um, effectively so that, you know, we're, we are able to help not, not everything has to be escalated. We wanna, we wanna resolve most problems when on the first call but we also need to be able to escalate it if we have to. So it's not that you're looking for 100% um, or even necessarily 90%, you know, first call resolution. I think part of it is though, I think if they don't, if you're, if the provider doesn't know what their first call resolution is, then I, then, and they don't have that kind of metrics, um, then I think it, it speaks to the fact that they're probably not probably managing that question as effectively as they would be if they did have those metrics. Does that make sense to you, Johan? That's how I would look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, and that's, you'll find this is a recurring theme with a lot of these questions is that it, it's, they're sort of basic questions and whoever you're talking with should be able to answer them relatively quickly. They should be thinking about their business in ways that enable them to answer these questions, you know, easily. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about on-site support, Steve? Sure. So, so off there, there we, we community IT has clients where uh, there's little to no on-site support be, um, because the client is small and they have relatively few IT needs, and they're basically what they're what they want is to be able to call a help desk when they need it, get help oftentimes remotely, um, and that should be that. Um, but on-site support is sometimes needed uh, when you're setting up a new computer. It often makes sense or generally makes sense to try to do that on-site. It's more efficient that way. So who's going to come when you uh, need help on-site? Um, how long does it take before if it's a if it's a um, ad hoc request for service? You know, what is the service level agreement on how long it will be before a, a dispatch can be arranged? Um, what's the average time? What's the sort of the, the committed uh, limit on the time? Um, 
is it going to be a junior technician or a, a more senior person? Um, those are all good questions uh, to ask about ad hoc dispatches. And then Community IT also has plenty of clients that have recurring on-site support. And if you anticipate that being one of the ways you're going to interact with your managed service provider, um, first of all, if that's important to you, you want to make sure that an MSP provides recurring on-site support. And um, then you want to find out who, who provides it. Um, and there are different ways to handle this. The, and there's, again, this is not, there's not supposed to be a lot of judgment about, about um, that one way is better than the other. It's, it's back to that fitness question of what, what fits with the way you operate. Um, community IT has a dispatch team, so a team approach to dispatches. And that allows us to be efficient and cost effective that we have um, you know, a team of, of engineers who uh, do some recurring support, but also have quite a bit of bench time when they're available to go out and do dispatches. So when you ask us for an ad hoc dispatch, not as part of a recurring scheduled thing, but uh, a one-time event, you need someone to come set up a new computer or you need someone to um, replace a switch or whatever, you're gonna ask us for a dispatch and who you get depends on sort of who has time at that moment you know, earliest in their schedule. And there's, you know, again, a team of, you know, four or five, whatever, that's the, that's the scale we operate at. Uh, engineers and whoever's available will be the person who comes out. When you have a team approach, you need to have uh, a commitment to sort of best practices. You need to have a commitment to good documentation um, because if, uh, if, if the person who comes out from community IT to your site um, isn't familiar with you, they need to be able to A, know how community IT does things and do it that way because there's a, there's a, a set of practices that are uh, trained and, and committed to by, by our company. Um, and also there needs to be good documentation because I, I don't know you, so I need to be able to easily and quickly find out what I need to know about you as a, as a client in terms of your technology. What kind of firewall do you have? How old is it? You know, where is it located? All that stuff should be documented. So. When you find out that on-site support is provided by a team or there's a team approach, there's some strengths there. Um, on the recurring side, we actually do sort of a modified team approach. Um, we often have, uh, we, we, we like to have the same people coming out. If, it, if you're getting support from us four days a week, we probably have two people because uh, that gives us more redundancy um, and, and it's a more robust system. Um, but we might have, you know, someone coming on Monday and Wednesday and someone else coming on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so you get to know one person. So having that kind of, no, I get to know one technician. There's a lot of strength there. You get a relationship with someone. Your staff gets to know that one person. They really get to know who you are as a client, both your technology, but also who you are culturally. Um, and, and it fits. You get, there can be some dependencies that come with that. And we certainly uh, have, have to work with that with our clients. You know, they get to, they get to know someone really well and, um, and they really like them. And then if that person gets promoted to a position where they're no longer doing recurring support, they have to, you know, there's a transition there and it's, you know, fond farewell and new, someone new comes in and gets to know. Um, but by, you know, so there's pros and cons to all of these things, but these are things that you, you'd like to know. And it gives you a sense of who the MSP is, whether they're gonna have sort of more team oriented or more uh, single technician oriented about who you who you who comes to you and who you whose face you actually see when on-site support is needed. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, you could ask them about the balance between on-site and remote capacities because there are MSPs that they just want to do everything on-site, and there are other MSPs that they're only really set up to provide support remotely, and that yeah. works great for some organizations and for other organizations it's not as good a fit. So the balance between, you know, on-site and remote support is something that's good to ask about and also to ask references about. So Steve, we've been in a time of unprecedented, um, an, un an incredibly low unemployment rate. And I've heard within the MSP industry that unemployment among IT professionals is actually a negative, uh, negative unemployment. So it's been a very tight labor market um, for the last year or so or more. And um, just curious, you know, is it important to ask a prospective MSP about their staff tenure? 
uh, it's definitely worth it. Uh, asking that question is an, is an important question. I, I do think what you just said, and, it, and it's true, and it's, it's impacted community IT also, you know, that um, basically if you're in, in IT right now um, and you uh, have any reason to look for a new job, you'll, you'll get offers. And so there is a lot of bouncing around. And, um, you know, we've had, uh, we, we historically, have, I feel like, you know, just didn't have turnover at all. And we still have really low turnover by industry standards. Our, our median staff tenure, I'm sure is in, well, I don't even know. So I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I, you know, I would imagine it's in the, uh, the, the certainly the top quartile and probably in, in more like, you know, percents. I just can't imagine that, that a lot of companies are, are much better. Um, so, you know, but I, but I think what you're, what you're saying, Johan, just points to the fact that you, the expectations have to be tempered particularly, I think, with uh, more junior staff who are sort of getting their careers started. I think it's just natural in this labor environment. There's going to be a certain amount of balancing around. So, you know, what is your staff tenure is a question. It's an important question. I think it speaks to um, something about perhaps uh, the morale and overall uh, job satisfaction of the staff that you'll be working with. And those are certainly important things to consider when you're outsourcing your IT. You want You want the people that are that are serving you to be people that are happy in their jobs and 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 glad to be there and you and and you just want if you can the the most the, the highest level of of retention by your MSP is the bet is better because it means that um, they're not constantly training staff and transitioning staff into new jobs everyone does their job better once they've been doing it for a while. Um, so yeah, I think community IT really stands out in this regard, but even community IT uh, has had probably more, more turnover than certainly than we're used to in the last three or four years um, as people are able to just move, move around as they, as they want. Nonetheless, I mean, I don't know, you, you probably happen to know the, the figures. I mean, I think our, our engineering staff has, you know, a median what is the? Do you know the statistic, Johan? For so, I mean, our, our average staff tenure is is seven years. Um, that goes up dramatically for our more senior staff. Uh, I'm I just recently celebrated my 20th year with the company. Um, Steve is you're in the 15 year range. Yeah. So as as we uh, so anyways, I think it, it, as with many of these questions. It's something that the that the MSP you're talking to should know about their business and should be able to communicate to you. The bottom line, for sure, is you just what you don't want is uh, someone who's uh, just a revolving door of employees. There's just no way for them to really be able to do great service if they're if that's their their approach. Yeah, Hopefully and as, as competitive as the market is, um, certainly when I look at some of our peers. Uh, the ones who are doing good work, providing growth opportunities for their staff, you know, even though there's turnover across the board, do have some some amount of retention. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, let me another question you want to ask is pricing. How does your pricing work? Which seems like an obvious question, but the reality is that every MSP has a slightly different approach to how they price their work. And chances are if you were to get the invoices of three or four different MSPs, you'd end up with three or four unique ways of um, pricing service. So that's, it's it, it can be frustrating, and I understand that, that it's when you're trying to compare um, your options as you're evaluating MSPs to have such wildly different approaches to pricing. And so we really encourage, we'd encourage you to ask who you're looking at to explain their pricing to you, and they should be able to explain it to you in a way that makes sense. Um, and again, like there's basically, a, there's sort of two different dimensions to look at pricing around. The first dimension is what's fixed cost or what's covered and what's being billed on an hourly rate basis. And then the other dimension is what services are included and what services are optional. And so it's really a matter of bundling, like what time is bundled and what um, services are bundled. And so we've, you know, be, partly because I think we work with nonprofit organizations, we have a pricing approach that is flexible, 
we have three different pricing options. One where everything is included for a fixed monthly price. Another where calls to the help desk are included on an unlimited basis on a fixed at a fixed monthly price. And then another option where our support suite of desktop uh, and server management software is included at a very low monthly price, but then all support work is handled on an hourly rate basis. And we found that having those different options works really well in the nonprofit sector because different nonprofits have different funding sources. Um, they can pay for things in different ways, and it just gives them the flexibility they need to purchase exactly the amount of service you know that they need and, and not any more than that. So um, that's something to, to ask about. And I think that, you know, as often as, as clear as it is in our proposal, um, we really appreciate the opportunity to just walk through it with any prospective um, clients that we're talking to. And we find that that conversation is always an eye opener, you know, for them. And so we encourage that to be a, a topic, you know, how does your pricing work? And then the other dimension, if you will, are the services that are included or not included. So is spam filtering included as an option? Is backup included? Is, um, you know, email uh, phishing training included? And different nonprofits have, I'm sorry, different MSPs have very different approaches to what they, what services they make optional and what services they, they include by default as part of their package. Yeah, the reality is that it's really difficult to, in a sales process sometimes, actually get a sense for like, I see the I see the slide pricing, and I think this is about, you know, what does it cost per month? What am I going to What am I going to expect to pay per month, and what's the value delivered for that? And and really, what you're saying, Johan, is that because of the way things are bundled and not bundled, um, it can be very. It's an each time each comparison between three different sort of bids from different three different MSPs. You're almost comparing apples to oranges along along each one of those. If you and if you don't have someone explain it through to you in a way that you can trust uh, can be very difficult to evaluate upfront. That's right. That's exactly right. I do think that you know most MSPs should be able to give you a good ballpark estimate for what they think a monthly price is going to be for supporting the organization. And information that can really help them put together a better estimate would be if you have any data on the number of tickets or support requests that are currently being submitted on a monthly basis by your organization. That information really helps to come up with an accurate estimate. And then also the 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 state of the network, if you will. You know, is it are most services in the cloud? Is it a lot of old hardware that might need to be replaced? Are there funny problems that seem to keep coming up on the network that might need to be addressed? That sort of information also is very helpful in putting together an accurate estimate. Um, but an MSP should should be able to give you a ballpark figure for what they think the monthly cost would be for supporting the network. And if they can't, then you know it, it would raise concerns for me about um, their their ability to sort of anticipate what the support requirement is. I'll make another plea here on the, before we go to the next slide, Johan, and that is you know probably our audience knows this already, but um, you know. It costs money to provide IT support to nonprofits or or small businesses or any you know for to anybody. And I I do sometimes, you know I, I it's you should expect to pay for good service and um and if and and the the cheapest priced service is not always the service that is going to be uh, the service that you should be choosing. Um, I don't know if I said that quite right, but I mean, just just you know, for people to understand that this is there is no free lunch here, obviously, and that everything um, for them for a company for an MSP to provide good value to you, you should you would expect to pay for that. Yes, and and it, it you know part of that gets to what the specific need is, and that sort of mm -hmm. goes back to this idea that not all MSPs are created equal, and not you know there are different fits for different That's types right. of organizations, and. Um, the last question, the value question, I think we'll come back to that 
we'll come back to this idea then. Yeah. Um, I want to ask them about their onboarding process. And um, part of the reason for this is that it just gives you a bit of a window into how they deliver service overall. Um, onboarding, sometimes it's it can be a little challenging to cover how service is going to be provided. Obviously, some of the basics of um, you know how the support, how the help desk is run, and so forth can be explained in advance. But oftentimes, like certain details about what the experience of working with an MSP is going to be like are hard to communicate in advance. But onboarding is one process that essentially the MSP has complete control over. Here's, you know, when you sign the contract, here's what happens next, and here's what happens after that. And here, you know, here's, we're gonna come meet with you, we're gonna install this software, we're gonna deliver this to you after this amount of time. Um, that's a process that the MSP has control over. And so it gives you insight into their ability to develop and run effective processes, effective business process. Um, other MSPs may say, well, you know, we send in an engineer, we assign an engineer to you, send that person in, and they collect information about your network, and then you're good to go. Which, again, is not necessarily a, a bad answer, but it just, again, gives you insight into, you know, how they're going to operate long term in terms of their service delivery. The insight being that they don't, they don't have a lot of processes. Uh, maturely laid out. It's kind of uh, whoever you happen to be working with flying by the seat of their pants, perhaps very effectively, but just a different experience than if there's a, a real mapped out process for the onboarding process. I mean, this may be betraying that we have a good onboarding process and we're, we're you know, we're proud of it. And maybe that's the way we think, what we think, well, we, it's work, it works really well for us. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's different, different fits for different, for different organizations. Well, and on the on the flip side, I know there are MSPs who like to come in and talk with lots of key stakeholders and put together more sophisticated um, technology planning documents, which you know may be overkill in certain situations. So, um, yep. just kind of having a clear understanding of how how your staff are going to be impacted, what's the end user experience going to be like during the onboarding process, it gives you it helps you to figure out how they think about, you know, the user experience and, and your staff's yeah. experience. It's the first experience you're going to have with this MSP potentially, and they should be able to describe it in a way that you can hear and understand and, um, and evaluate. And if, and if that can't, if that's not happening, then that's a pretty big red flag. Yeah. So once you ask them about the onboarding process, you can also ask them, well, how will you work with us over time? Right. So this is, we did, you know, Jan just got done saying, oh, this is, it's harder sometimes to explain this. And that's absolutely true. But these are some, some key things you can ask is like, uh, you know, we already talked about the help desk and who's, who's staffing it and, and how it works in terms of, you know, who answers the phone and stuff. But, you know, if I have a ticket, um, if I have a service request, uh, what are the different ways I can submit that service request? How will I, how will I know it's been um, acknowledged? Uh, do you prefer that I use the phone? If I use the phone, will the will it be answered within a certain amount of time, or will I be on hold, or do I need to leave a voicemail and, and wait for a call back? Um, none of these things are good or bad because if you you know certain thing, everything that everything that's that you like, you might cost more money to deliver, and so you know you have to balance costs against benefits. Um, but those are things that you should know. Um, another question to ask is kind of what what is expected from us, me, uh, in the organization? Should, do I need to have a primary contact uh, identified? And what and what does that primary contact need to know so that when the, let's say the managed service provider wants to send uh, an alert to its clients about um, a, a security vulnerability that Microsoft has identified in Windows, you know, who does that email get sent to? Who? What's the responsibility of the person who gets it? Um, these are questions that you that you want to know because it's going to impact how you um, how you work with them. Uh, you can get into any into more into more processes. You could certainly ask questions about about how projects are delivered. Um, that's worth asking if you anticipate doing any kind of project work. Um, 
questions that you might have would be also about how how let's say you um, how do you onboard a new staff member? So if if I'm if I if I hire someone new, what's that process look like? What is expected of what do what does my HR department need to do in terms of interacting with the managed service provider? And um, and what can I expect from the managed service provider uh, in terms of getting that that newly hired person into the IT systems? Um, these are all the questions that you can you can ask. It's also a good time to bring up technologies that you have that might be um, outside like the uh, cookie cutter box, like email and print and file sharing and stuff. You know, uh, by the way, we have this really strange database that uh, someone custom built for us 10 years ago and really no one knows much about, you know, what can you, how can you help us with that? You know, those are questions you should definitely draw out um, at this time as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm just sort of brainstorming here a little bit, Johan, but did I, I think I covered. Yeah, no, 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 that's great. Um, related to that is the question, how will you report on your work? And that's, to us, that's central. Um, we feel very strongly that managed service providers should be held accountable by the organizations that they're providing service to. But we also understand that there's a challenge in that because the reason you're hiring a managed services provider, by and large, is because you don't have in-house IT expertise and you're outsourcing that to someone else. And so it's important for the managed services provider to be able to explain their work to a non-technical audience. Uh, generally, the nonprofit organization will have somebody who's managing the vendor relationship with the MSP, and we refer to that person as our primary contact. And we do our best to help the primary contact understand the work that we're doing. And we have a lot of different tools in place that help us communicate the work that we're doing. Um, that includes a recurring monthly meeting with one of our IT business managers. In that meeting, we have a series of reports that we can use to explain um, the state of the network, uh, the number of computers, their patch status, their age, that can show the number of tickets that have been submitted, the types of issues that those tickets um, have related to, the responsiveness of our help desk to responding to those issues. So we we do our best to hold ourselves accountable and then share that accountability um, with our customers. And that's something that managed services providers should have a process in place for and should be prepared to do. And this is something that um, I know that the, the MSP industry as a whole has really made a lot of progress in this area. And I go to a lot of MSP events and talk with a lot of peers in the industry. And I know that this is something that has become really critical you know, over the last five or six years, finding ways to um, share accountability with customers um, so that it's not a black box, so that it's not you know, a complete unknown to them. Uh, the work that they're doing. And I think related to that, it's really important to find a managed services provider who can explain technology and technology decisions um, to you effectively. And that's something that you can you can start the process of of asking them those questions in the in the interview process, in in the review of the MSP. Um, you know, well we have this going on in the network. I don't fully understand it, but what does this mean to you? Or what would you do in this situation? And they should be able to um, both understand the situation technically, but also explain it to you in a way that makes sense. So uh, we'll just move right along. Uh, vendors and technology. So um, this is something that you also want to, this is kind of related to the previous point to some degree. You want to ask them, well, what vendors do you work with? What technologies do you support? The, the jargon for that in our line of work is stack. What technology stack is the MSP uh, working with? Are they flexible? Are they, are they inflexible in terms of the type of technology that they support? Steve, why is it important to, to ask that question of an MSP? Sure. Um, well, First of all, you know, if you're, let's say that all your or half of your users are on Mac, Mac OS computers, um, you need to you need to know that that this MSP is going to su support 
the, the Mac OS as fluently as they support the Windows operating system. Um, so those, that, that's right from the start. Uh, some of the things that are that are almost like part of your culture or part of you know that aren't easy for you to change. If you if you're not anticipating that you'll be able to change, you need to know that your that your MSP can can support uh, the way you operate. That said, when you transition to a new MSP, it may be that there are things that you're somewhat agnostic about, um, but that uh, that the that that you don't quite align with with the MSP in terms of what stack they support or prefer versus you know what you have in your technology stack, whether it's because of choices that previous service provider provided. So maybe your brand of firewall is not the brand of firewall that an, another MSP um, prefers. So let's find that out. As does that mean that you need to buy a new firewall or that they or that part of the cost of switching to this new managed service provider is in one way or another paid for with a new firewall that's in the MSP's preferred stack. That's kind of what you were getting at, Johan, with, with the degree of flexibility. Um, I don't think it's ideal to have uh, a managed service provider who says, oh, we support anything, we don't care at all. Um, I don't feel like, personally, like technology, um, there's just so much to know that to me, knowing that an MSP has its preferred um, solution set that it's most comfortable supporting means that they're going to have a, a greater degree of proficiency and expertise in that solution set. And it'd be nice if it was aligned with the solutions that you guys, that you were using in your organization, knowing that you can change too over time. So we frequently bring in clients that don't have the firewalls that we recommend. Um, and we don't insist that they replace that firewall until that firewall has sort of aged out of its regular traditional, in our mind, it's like a five-year life cycle for a firewall. So if it's a three-year-old firewall, we might anticipate that we're gonna support that firewall for two more years, even though it's not our preferred solution. And um, that's okay, we can, we're generalists, we can make it work, but it's not our you know, bread and butter. It's not the thing that we're super comfortable in. So in two more years, when you're getting a new firewall, we'll will help you, we'll, we'll recommend that you replace it with a firewall that matches um, our preferred stack and hopefully that's that's okay. So there's a little bit of a, that's a question about flexibility. Now I have heard of MSPs that say, hey, look, when you sign up with us, you know, everything's gonna be our way and, uh, and it's gonna make it for a super efficient service because we know what, our way so well that it's gonna be like a really, really like great, experience for your staff and also for our staff and it's going to those efficiencies are so great that the the cost of all that switching is going to be worthwhile and um and that's a that's a direction to go it's it it is expensive to make all those switches sort of immediately um but it, it could work uh, one other thing that i would sort of say on this um is uh most msps these days are sort of recommending um solutions based on their perception of what the best solution is for the for the sort of the cost to the to the client um, but there there was a day not that many years ago well in technology time it was like two generations ago <laughs> but in ago. real life yeah in real life it wasn't that long ago uh, where they were value-added resellers and that was sort of a, a business model that preceded the managed service provider business model, and they still are around, and you, and you definitely want to sort of be aware of it. It doesn't mean that a value-added reseller is, a, is bad, but you want to know that if the reason this provider wants you to buy, I don't know, WatchGuard firewalls is because for every, they're going to sell them to you, and for every WatchGuard firewall that they sell to you for $800, they're going to pocket $150 that WatchGuard's going to give them. Um, like if that's the reason that the, they want you to buy a watch guard, that kind of compromises in a way. Uh, it's kind of like the whole, you know, doctors who are prescribing pills that that where they're getting, a, you know, they're getting taken out for dinner by the by the drug companies. I mean, it doesn't mean that, that the drug is bad, but it's certainly you'd, you'd like it to you'd like to know that this is being recommended simply because it's the best. Uh, most times that you buy something from an MSP or uh, even from an MSP, probably there's a 
one, two, three percent like transaction on the back end that you may or may not be aware of that that goes back to the MSP. But if it's just one, two, or three percent, it's it's not. I don't think that that don't think that compromises anybody. But if it's a, a significant part of of a provider's business model, you need to be aware of that. And then I also think uh, that um, you want to be careful not to get yourself into a technology stack that there's not an easy exit from. So this is not something that I think is as common as it used to be, but there was a period of time a few years ago that people were signing up for service providers where part of signing up meant that the computers were actually joined to the service provider's domain and it made for some very efficient management tools, but it meant that when you wanted to leave that managed service provider, uh, you had a, a, a lot of vendor lock-in sort of uh, in front of you. Another place where that can happen is if, and I hope no one is doing this, but if you're buying from your provider uh, what I call white label uh, computers, where it's not a Dell, it's not an HP, it's just a, a computer that your provider actually built. Um, those can be really solid machines and your provider might have a lot of expertise in building those but if you leave that service provider um you stop working with them who who supports those computers i mean there are they are basic computers they have a motherboard they have ram they have um graphic um uh, interfaces and all that stuff but but you don't have a dell manufacturer's warranty on it what you have is your former service providers warranty on it and your service provider doesn't work with you anymore. And so it's just, it's not something that, you, it'd be nice if you weren't locked in by any provider uh, in terms of your own technology stack, you'd like to be independent. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think related to that, you know, if you're a nonprofit organization, you should be, and, and you're on Office 365, you should be purchasing your Office 365 licenses directly from Microsoft using their uh, nonprofit pricing program. And there, there are a lot of that's not standard um, in with for-profit organizations because businesses, um, in in many ways, it's often more efficient for them to purchase the license directly from the MSP. So a lot of MSPs that work with businesses are sort of set up, and their default, you know, just it's how they operate, is to um, include Microsoft Office 365 licenses as part of their managed services and that's you know then you're paying full freight for a license that you can get a deep discount on if you go directly to microsoft so that's another thing to ask about and look out for um, when you're evaluating msps um, yeah the another the one thing i'll add in in terms of the var the value-added reseller is that um what what we've observed is that it's not so much a problem at the beginning. So, you know, back five or six years ago, there's a, a variety of firewalls, Fortinet, SonicWall, WatchGuard. They're more or less all doing the same thing, all created equal. The, the problem with uh, technology lock-in with a vendor isn't that they're necessarily recommending bad technology, but they sort of, they oftentimes will get stuck on older types of solutions. Whereas nowadays, you know, a lot of people are moving towards Meraki, which is a cloud-based, cloud-managed firewall, which is a lot has a lot of advantages over the more traditional type of firewall. And if if a vendor is sort of locked into a certain type of firewall, it makes it harder for them to move on to newer technology. So that's and, right, and they're locked in because it's an important part of their business model. It's not, right, it's exactly. Not, not because it's necessarily the the best technology solution now um, for an organization. Uh, yeah. Actually, if we have time, a quick funny aside. There was this company's long. They went out of business a long time ago. It's called Zenith Infotech, and they were they provided hardware solutions to MSPs back in the 2000s, 2008, 2009. And I remember at the time, a lot of MSPs and a lot of VARs in particular. We're very concerned about the cloud because the whole the problem was well once your clients move to the cloud, you know they're not going to be buying hardware from you anymore. So Zenith released this uh, product called the Zenith Cloud, and you know I remember like we got emails about it and we we're looking into it and we we're like, this Zenith Cloud it looks like just a rolling half rack of servers that you put into your closet. That can't be right because that's if it's in your office in a little rack. 
that's not the cloud. Like that's the opposite of what the cloud is. This thing they were calling the Zenith cloud. And we looked into it and sure enough, like it was literally a server, that, a cheap server that they sold you that they called the cloud. And it was, <laughs> you know, border, I mean, no, no wonder that they went out of business pulling stunts like that. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you have to look out for. And in, in, at times with MSPs, um, you want to make sure that they're really forward thinking and embracing the future of technology and helping you embrace it as well as an organization. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we should bottom line this. The bottom line, I, yeah. in, our, in my opinion, in our opinion, probably is that, you know, you, you probably you do want an MSP that has a preferred stack that can tell you what that stack is. And, you know, there are they. Are they, you know, Microsoft or or Google for email or, you know, whatever. They, they tell you kind of what they think their client should be on. Um, and and yet a certain amount of flexibility is probably also important for particularly for nonprofits that you don't that they can, at least in this in the short term, support what you have, even if it's not in the preferred stack, um, allowing for the fact that over time you'll you'll try to match your what, what you have in your in your environment will match what the. Uh, MSP pre prefers um, as their stack over time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Um, we're coming into the last 10 minutes of the webinar. So my thanks to everyone for hanging in there. We've got three questions left and then we'll open it up to your questions if you have any um, and feel free to chat those in now if you want. We'll take them in the order they come in. Um, so question number 10 is about cybersecurity. It's a, it's a critical part of um, service these days and there's a range of, of solutions around cybersecurity. Uh, every organization nowadays needs some level of cybersecurity protection. Not every organization needs the gold standard in cybersecurity. If, if you're an organization that's um, being targeted, maybe you're you know you're you're focused on international issues, um, you're doing work that would make you a target of uh, nation state actors, then obviously you need to seek out an MSP that's got more advanced experience with cybersecurity. But every MSP should be able to talk, um, be conversant with cybersecurity threats and explain how they um, protect their customers against those threats. I don't know if there's much more to say there. I, uh, the only thing I'll add is that at Community IT, we have sort of a core set of required services that we provide as part of basic cybersecurity. And then we have a pretty extensive set of optional services that we talk through with our customers. We're not big into fear mongering. We know that there are threats out there, but we also understand that the, the threats vary widely depending on the nature of the organization and the work that they're doing. So um, we really like to sit down and talk with our customers and find out specifically, you know, what threats they're facing and help come up with an appropriate cybersecurity solution. Uh, I'll, I'll temper that a little. We all, I, we're not into fear mongering and I'm not going to turn around and start doing it, but we're, <laughs> we're also, we're not, we, every organization, there, there's a certain, you know, being targeted by a nation state is a whole different animal than just being on the internet, which every organization is and being, uh, therefore, potentially uh, a target as for a sort of opportunistic um, hacking, where it's just more a matter of like, you know, not having managed uh, MFA on your on your Office 365 accounts, not having multi-factor authentication on your Office 365 accounts, and, and not having uh, training so that your staff uses, you know, passwords for all, for their personal, like their, you know, they use the same password for everything that they, that they do, and it's not a very, difficult password and you know the the Netflix account gets gets uh, compromised and that password then gets used to get into Office 365. Every, everybody's cybersecurity is a real thing and even the the small nonprofit that you know just does some community events um, could easily be a victim of a, of a cyber crime um, as as compared to someone who's doing uh, you know analysis of, of nuclear warheads and who has what and and might be targeted by a, a nation state. So um, I don't want to undersell this either. You need to have an MSP who can who can who can talk about cybersecurity um, very intelligently. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. No, that's that's very true. I know you. I know you. Yeah. I know. No, it's good. Good clarification. Yeah. Um. The second to last question is just you know asking the MSP you know just use the word strategy in a question basically. I mean, we frame it in our white paper as how will you help my organization strategize for the future? Um, you know, do you assist with strategic planning? What's your capacity to engage with us strategically? Uh, however you want to frame the question, you want to, you just want to make sure that the MSP is capable of thinking about business strategy broadly and is capable of helping to connect um, technology solutions to business needs. And it, it's probably not reasonable to expect a managed services provider to also be an extensive strategic technology planner. There, there are large um, IT support companies that can offer managed services, and then they have another division that provides strategic planning services. So that does exist. But generally, the, the way that you need to organize a business to effectively deliver managed services is different from organizations that focus on strategy, even IT strategy and strategic planning. But you want to make sure that your MSP is capable of engaging, you know, with other stakeholders, whether with another firm or with other people in your in your organization um, around strategic topics, and that they can help you put together a three-year budget and technology plan, that they can um, think ahead to what the organization might need in three years and that they can assist with um, technology decision making that keeps in mind all of the different needs that the business might have um, over an extended period of time. Absolutely. So I don't Agreed. think we'll say much more than that. I mean, we yeah. we help our customers. To yeah, we do a lot with this, so yeah. we can talk about it, but we're running out of time. So, yeah. yeah, this is one of our strengths, I think. So the last question is, uh, how do you deliver value? I think that's always a good, that'd be a good question to end with uh, when you have an interview uh, with an MSP. Um, how do you deliver value? And it gives you a glimpse into how they see their own role. And it gives you a glimpse into um, how they see their business. And that's, you know, it, it kind of provides a nice summary of all of the other things that we've talked about in this webinar. Um, how do they how do they see their role in delivering value to your organization? And I think, well, I'll I'll add one more thing. Um, if uh, and this is something that Steve and I talked a little bit about as we were preparing for this webinar. Um, this is a particularly important question if you're talking to an MSP that's not that familiar with nonprofit organizations because the the approach for an MSP that typically works with for-profit businesses is going to take a certain approach to um, talking about the value of technology, talking about making decisions around technology solutions. And if they're not familiar with or comfortable with working with nonprofits, they might not understand the very different dynamic that occurs within a nonprofit organization um, where revenue generation, fundraising is critical, obviously, um, but maximizing profit is not really a concept that is useful in a nonprofit setting. And if that's how the MSP thinks about the value that they deliver, um, it might be a struggle for them to, um, to really relate you know, to, to the organization as a nonprofit. I'd say also this is this goes back to sort of what I think of in terms of like job interview questions. Like, there's not necessarily a right answer here, right? It's just you. It's a way to sort of hear more from from the MSP that that helps explain who they are. Mm -hmm. And you're not you're not there's not you don't there's not an answer you're looking for, but the answer that they give, and if they can't give an answer, well, that's a that's a, a big red flag. But even but even if they do give an answer. It, it helps you get a better feel for who they are yeah. in a way that um, that can be very helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, we are at time. Just want to quickly um, announce, actually, it's not going to be with Build. I should have removed their graphic. Our chief technology officer, Matt Eshelman, is going to be announcing and presenting on the 2020 Nonprofit Cybersecurity Incident Report. 
where we report on our survey of cybersecurity incidents in the nonprofit sector. So please join us for that on April 15th next month. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, our thoughts are with all of you, and um, we can all uh, return now um, to focusing on some of the some of the more important matters and pressing matters in our world right now. But we certainly thank you for your time this afternoon. And um, if you have any additional questions for us, feel free to follow up after the webinar, and we'd be happy to answer them for you. Steve, thank you for your time. Have a good afternoon. Thank you, Johan. Okay. Bye, folks. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.